Hello and a big warm welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me, your host, Nigel Palmer. How are you doing? Today, we've got such a lot for you because, uh, you know, we know we are all animals and wildlife and nature lovers. But sometimes you meet someone whose passion and skills and experience just combine at the right time to make a real difference for animals. And today, we meet with someone who has done just that. Stay tuned for our chat with the wonderful Val Green, founder of One Voice for Animals. And our wildlife is endlessly fascinating to me, and I'm sure it is to you as well. So today, I'm excited to bring you the story of the amazing winter moth. So there's lots to look forward to on this week's Wildlife Matters, and it's all coming up after this. Exciting news! Wildlife Matters has formed a partnership with the fabulous folk at One Voice for Animals. Our partnership aims to raise awareness of the work of the many independent rescues that are part of the One Voice for Animals family. One Voice for Animals works to create awareness of the work of rescue organisations all around the UK to provide practical support that is raising standards for animal rescues and helping them to raise the vital funds that they need. The One Voice for Animals directory is the place to go to find your local animal rescue, be that for companion or wild animals. And collectively, One Voice for Animals works to influence UK animal welfare issues on behalf of their member organisations and is a member of APGOR the all-parliamentary group for animal welfare. For more information, please visit the One Voice for Animals website. Their website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk And just in case you've missed that, get your pen and papers ready. The website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk UK. Now let's get back to the Wildlife Matters podcast. Hello, and on this week's Wildlife Matters podcast, we're speaking to Val Green, the founder of One Voice for Animals UK. Hi, Val. Hi. Good to speak to you today, and thank you very much for joining us to tell us a bit about One Voice for Animals. Could you just tell us a little bit about you and and how you got One Voice for Animals started? Okay. Um, I've always been an animal lover and followed a lot of organisations. I I am the regional fundraiser for David Shepherd Wildlife Foundation for the Midlands. Um, In in my day job, I'm a project manager, uh, so I'm used to being uh, behind the screen on an Excel spreadsheet organising stuff. That's what what I do for my day job. Right, which is fantastic and really useful, I would imagine, when you're setting something up because we oh, all need we all need that practical and project managers, I think, work under pressure quite a bit. So I guess you're used to that side of it as well. So what was your aim when you set up One Voice for Animals? What what was you looking to achieve initially? Okay, so so I set up One Voice 
just after the COVID crisis started, because all those organisations that I was following were putting out messages on social media saying, help, we can't pay our vet's bill. We've lost our income stream. We've lost our volunteers. And I was making little donations here and little donations there and realising I wasn't even scratching the surface. So I used my project management skills, I guess, to speak to a load of people and say, let's set up a directory so that we've got all these people who need help in one place. And I focused on the organisations that were the smallest, so so not your dog's trusts or your cat's protection or your RSPCA, because I felt they still had some senior help. So my target audience was all the little guys, um, domestic animal rescues, wildlife rescues, small sanctuaries that were caring for UK animals. So that that's why I set up. It was a really difficult time for everybody, but especially for the smaller rescues, like you say, no money coming in and lots of animals. So what a fantastic thing to do to help animals and and obviously help all those people with their small businesses. So you mentioned the directory. So that is an online resource on your website where I think people find uh, their local animal welfare establishment. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, Yes. So that was the the first thing we did. We put this directory in place um, and people joined us. And as they joined us, we added them to the directory and would say who they were. So so so-and-so local hedgehog rescue and what county they were in. And, And the directory is searchable based on counties or regions, depending on where you are in the UK. Um, so that people literally can find out what's near them because so many people wanted to help so this was this is the first thing we did that's fantastic and what a great resource for for anybody because it's a panic because when you find something you know everyone I think knows that situation when you found an animal and you oh I want to help it but I'm not sure where to do or you know straight away now get on the on the One Voice for Animals website and you'll find your nearest place. Moving on through um, the development of One Voice for Animals, once you got that up, you were looking at standards. Could you just give a little overview of, of where you're at with that process? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to wind back a tiny bit because the mm-hmm. next thing we did really was um, help all our small organisations build up followings with a big press campaign. We had, we had people on furlough from um, professional organisations who had obviously had time on their hands and they were fantastic resources. They helped us write press releases and, and we featured on radio stations all across the UK. Uh, we were on BBC, ITV and in loads of newspapers. Um, when I say we, sometimes it was me, sometimes it was um, the individuals who were running the rescues themselves. We would write the press release and say, hey, we've managed to get you a, a slot on this radio show. During COVID, that was what we focused on, really. We focused on fundraising and press. It was only as we came out of the COVID crisis, we started to look at what else could we do. Um, Then we started doing things like campaigning. So some of the campaigns we've run have been hedgehogs and strimmers. That's that's a big problem every year. The impact of fireworks, um, spray and neuter campaign. Um, So as you'll know, during lockdown, uh, everybody was breeding pets and, and selling them on. And there's about 2 million more cats in the UK now than there was before COVID, which, which is not good for the cats and certainly not good for the wildlife. No. And we also launched Small Pet Rodent Awareness Week in partnership with some uh, rodent rescues. Most of the animals have a day, a certain special day, but the little the little, little gerbils and um, daegus and chinchillas didn't. So we have a whole week dedicated to them every year. I think they featured on your last podcast, actually. 
Yes, um, and, and, and it was great to do that. And it's great that they've got a day. And uh, Lindsay and all her colleagues who worked on that, what a fantastic thing that was. You'd set one voice for animals up. You'd gone to press and fundraising to the extreme situation that the lockdowns put everybody in. And then we were beginning to focus on to helping the smaller rescues. Yes, so, so because of the campaigning, I, I was able to have a good chat with my local MP and he put us forward for membership of the all-party parliamentary group for animal welfare. Uh, so I was speaking to them and explaining who we represented, because the big guys are, are, are on that group already, you know, your, your Battersea Dogs Home, people like that. DEFRA isn't so sighted on the little guys. So we were accepted to give a voice to these smaller charities. And I think you mentioned standards earlier. It was going to the, these meetings. I was talking to people from the Welsh government and people from other uh, organisations about standards um, and licensing was coming in in Scotland and obviously we were looking at that. And I was quite inspired by what Wales were doing with their um, voluntary code of conduct. So talking to my team of volunteers who worked with me, we decided we would set standards for our membership. Um, we, we wanted to just make sure that everybody on our directory was the best they can be. So um, we, we announced on our social media and on in newsletters to our members that we're, we're, we were changing our standards and we gave them to the end of this year to fill any gaps they might have. So but we knew, particularly the littlest rescues out there, we knew that, um, that they are very passionate people who spend a lot of time directly dealing with animals and not don't have so much time for the paperwork. So we made a suite of documents, a suite of um, policy examples. So they're partially completed. They just needed to fill in what they what they personally did in their in their establishment um, guides, uh, links to other trusted sources of information, and we put all these into a Google Drive, brought a domain, and you know, it is the one voice. It's called it's called HelpAnimalsLibrary.co.uk. However, we recognise that because it is a Google Drive, people struggle with it. They, they struggle to download things. And I found I was spending a lot of time downloading single documents and emailing them over to people. And that's very time consuming for me and for them. We have partnered with Icarus, who are the software company who actually sponsor our website. You know, we've worked with them a long time. And we asked for their help in making a much more easy to access portal where we could put all these great products that we've created in one place uh, so that People can really easily click on a button and go, oh, I need an example of a, a rehoming policy. They can just click on a button and have a, a template sitting there ready with the, 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 all the wordings on. And they just need to tweak it slightly to put in their rescue name and read it through and make sure that it does reflect what they do. So this is in development at the moment and I'm quite excited about it. I think it will be one of the, the best things we've done once it's finished. We're not going to restrict access to it. So it will be not just our members, but any animal welfare establishment in the UK can come and look at the library, see if we've got anything that, that might help them. Um, it won't just be templates and policies about directly about animal welfare. It will also include things like health and safety guides, CPD log, basically where you log your training. So yes. places you can demonstrate you've done that training, training and policy examples, anything and everything that yeah. an organisation needs, even a little organisation. They won't need everything. But, you know, if licensing comes in in England and Wales, as it's done in Scotland, then these organisations will need to have these products in place. And if they've had a year or so to get used to it or however long it's going to take, 
then it's going to be so much easier for them. Absolutely. I mean, what an amazing resource that is, because any rescue, like you say, small one person, two people with volunteers, you need some of these things, don't you, in place. But to be able to come and access that is is just amazing. So you're working with the developer, but I guess there's still a lot of costs involved. There is. um, And we have added a link to our directory for this portal. So it is sitting there as one of our links you can find on the directory. I don't want to take away from the rescues that I don't want to let them to have any donations that they would have got. So rather than ask people to donate, they can if they want, that's very appreciative. I wonder if there's any companies out there that would like to sponsor us. It would be really great to have a sponsor that will help us cover the costs for this new, uh, we we haven't named it properly yet, but I'm thinking it would be called something like uh, Rehabbers and Rescuers Resource Portal because I like the alliteration of the R's. But if there's a company out there that could help us with those costs and become involved, um, that would be brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there's a great opportunity if you're listening to this and you you either own the company or you, you, know, you work for a company that could get involved in this and support it financially or technically and financially or in any way at all, then that here's a great opportunity and really help lots of animals. So one thing as well, Val, how many rescues are actually in the One Voice family now? It's grown so much, hasn't it, since 2020? It, it has. We have about 350 on which is fantastic. And I know that you do raffles and, and other auctions and things like that. Do you want to just give us a little overview about how you do those and, and any that may be coming up in the not-too-distant future? I'd love to. So we do online auctions, and we have done since our first year, and they've become very popular. We do them on Facebook. I know not everyone's on Facebook, so when we're on our Instagram social media, we always say if you want to put a proxy proxy bid on speak to us but basically we have a, a, a lovely uh, group of people who regularly donate things to us um, and that's part of what we have in the auction and then we invite all our members if they would like to put in an auction lot that will benefit just them so for example we have our next big auction is coming up on the 18th of november there'll be at least 150 lots uh, at least half those lots can benefit any of our members at all so nigel if you if you bid on something and won at the end of the auction they run for a week i'd say congratulations nigel you're the winner can you please go to the help animals directory and the links in the auction listing pick one of the organizations to donate your winning bid to and then tell us who you donated to and and we do a couple of checks to make sure but then we put you and the item donor in contact and they'll post out your fantastic prize and we do have fantastic prizes everything from things that just two or three pounds to holidays Um, it's a really good auction if you're um, Nigel's Hedgehog Rescue um, right. and you've perhaps, perhaps somebody's donated something quite valuable to you, maybe an autographed book or um, an artwork or a signed photograph, something hopefully it's something easy to post. I never suggest people put in things that's difficult to post. But we've got an audience of 5,000 people on that auction group that you wouldn't normally reach. So you, maybe you've tr- already tried it locally and not, not found any bid- bidders for it. So you can put that lot in to our auction to benefit you. So it actually says on the auction listing, if you win this lot, 
you would be donating directly to Nigel's Hedgehog Rescue. Here's Nigel's link. Yeah. So, so that's um, something that all our organisations can take part of. I love it because it's helping everybody, but it's very light touch from your end, isn't it? The organisations, you're doing all the heavy lifting, as I would call it, and they're getting the benefits, which is great because it gives them the opportunity yeah, to get on yeah. with what they do as well, I guess. You yeah, because if you were Nigel's Hedgehog Rescue and you were really busy, there's nothing to stop you going, oh, that auction's going live next week. I'm going to share the link to the to the auction group and I'm going to say, supporters of Nigel's Hedgehog Rescue, please check this out. Please bid on these items. If you win, please donate to me. So it, it's, you can almost use it as your own fundraiser. Um, and the other thing, I know I'm backtracking a little bit, but um, you mentioned APGOR, which is obviously the all-parliamentary group for animal welfare. And yeah. you did touch on it, saying that it was primarily the bigger organizations the rspca and dogs trust etc so what i'm really impressed with is so you're on there representing your 300 plus groups and giving them a voice to directly to defra directly into parliament yes yes when when they they have meetings on particular topics um uh, we can attend those meetings we also attend the um i can't remember the acronym but the uh, all-party group for dog welfare um Right, we okay. go to some of those as well. They're all held in London, so I'm not going to say we go to them all, but um, you well, know, no, we are no. particularly interested in licensing, so we, we keep a finger on the pulse for that. Yeah, um, I just think it's so important that it just shows all the different levels that you, as an organization and, an, and as an individual, obviously, are working on for the benefit yeah. of all your members. And I, I think that's an um, it's just a great resource. One other thing we were talking about with, you know, we just talked about fundraising. Um, Yes. One other way we've helped organisations was going back to the COVID days, some of these small organisations weren't really online, but they may have had a Facebook page, but not not much else because their fundraising had been a a craft stall at the local fair, that kind of thing. So we partnered with an organisation called People's Fundraising who are a bit like GoFundMe or Just Giving, they're that kind of platform. Okay. Um, and we work very closely with them and we have set up uh, well over 100 of our members with profiles on people's fundraising and donate pages on people's fundraising. And, and it works just the way other donate platforms work. You know, you can pay with debit card, credit card. You can set up direct debits um, or use PayPal all to help one of your local rescues. So if we add together, you know, we, we have a formula on our website to assume how many people might might have donated through the directory, we obviously keep track of all our other fundraisers, whether they be auctions or, or some other smaller things we've done. And we know how much has been raised on pages that we've personally created. Uh, it's over a quarter of a million pounds that we've raised since we launched in April 2020. Oh, wow. So we're more <laughs> that, than we could ever have dreamed of. That is it's, amazing. It's a, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. And thank you from all the animals. I mean, and all those small animal welfare organizations i mean what a difference that makes that's an amazing achievement really it is fantastic well done to you and and you. i don't know i don't know actually have you got a team i guess you've got some some people yeah, that yes. are helping oh, you absolutely. out whenever, whenever i'm saying we i'm talking about a, a group of all of us are volunteers obviously yeah. but um no we have a team of about about six of us some some have specialisms we have dog rescue experts. We have somebody who's working with cat rescues. Um, we have um, 
Lucy from Wild Things Rescue, who I know you've spoken to. So uh, we have a, a rab- somebody well-known in the world of rabbits. So we have this great be- uh, depth of knowledge. Uh, so that's so that's whatever that's topic's coming up, we've normally got somebody that can uh, yeah. post about it. We also have somebody who, who runs our social media, does a brilliant job, because we have the, our Facebook group is aimed at rescuers and rehabbers, and our Facebook page and Instagram uh, are the ones where we post things that we think the public might want to know about. So, you know, it's Hedgehog Day or it's it's Rabbit Welfare Week, yeah. that kind of thing. All those posts go out on our page. Right. And since um, I, I will say, I've, since you let me into the group, which I thank you very much for, I found it fascinating, the wide range of things that are covered and the subjects and all the different days. You've certainly helped me become far more aware of all the different species, you know, of different animals, days that come up as well. It's a really good group. If you've got a small animal rescue of, of whatever species, I, I would highly recommend going on there because it's really informative. I know there's a lot, you know, a lot more information that you can get to and, and will be able to get to through the portal, etc. But for a day-to-day thing, it's I found it really yeah. useful and very, very informative. Yeah, definitely. What, what I say to the to people running organisations who, who always say, we're so, so busy, I'll say, can you not find one of your volunteers who can join our group? Because then at least then they'll go, oh, there's an auction coming up. Maybe we've got something we can put in or... Oh, we'll, we'll share things like special offers that people who make for hedgehog food do all these offers. I don't want to name one because there's more no, than no. one. Um, <laughs> no, but you can highlight those it. Offers, we highlight them on our group. So it's a good place to keep your finger on the pulse for what's happening out there that could benefit you. Grant yeah. opportunities. We put those kind of things up. So yeah, there's fun things that. like that. Yes, yeah. it's very broad. And, and to say you know, you're running that with half a dozen at most volunteers That's is incredible yeah. and raising all that money. What an amazing achievement. And I applaud all of those uh, wonderful volunteers. They're fantastic, yeah. aren't they? So one of the other things, Val, I know is that um, you were awarded an MBE for what you did. Can you just explain how that came about? Yeah, that was a huge surprise. It was in 2021, I think in the summer, you know, the Queen's Birthday uh, Awards, um, that I got this letter through, and I didn't believe it at first, obviously. Um, and um, apparently um, I'd been awarded an MBE for the work I'd done with One Voice during COVID, because obviously it was targeted at, initially at, at um, trying to help people during the COVID crisis. Huge congratulations. And I have Thank to you. say, so well deserved. I, I don't know, you know, we can't say a number, but a lot of those organisations wouldn't be here helping animals today without the efforts of you and what you did and pulling all this together. So, remarkable achievement and a very well deserved MBE. Thank you so much. With One Voice Now, basically, I want to give a call to action. What can people do? That I mean, you're doing all this amazing work. What can people listening to the podcast today do to help you and One Voice? Okay, well, our, our main ethos is still about find and support your local rescue. So we, we really want people to go to helpanimals.co.uk um, forward slash local, but you'll find it from the homepage uh, where you'll find the, the local directory um, so please do that. Please support the organisations near you. It can be money, but they also need practical support, you know, newspapers dropping off, things like that. Also, we would welcome more uh, organisations to join us. We recently changed our criteria so that we will also ex- accept animal welfare organisations that aren't necessarily rescues or sanctuaries um, or, or rehomers, things like um, pet banks, 
or animal transporters, things like that. So we welcome that kind of organisation to join bat groups. And also we've uh, um, brought on board our first environmental organisation looking after a a piece of land which which gives a home to wildlife and we feel that's part of the bigger picture too. So we'd be happy to take membership applications from that kind of organisation as well. And finally, um, back to that portal, which is going to be a big part of next year for us, it would be so good if we could find an organisation that would help us. Um, you know, we could put their logo on, on the homepage. And I think it would be an opportunity for them to be part of something that, that I believe will be really helpful to loads of different organisations. So please, please, thank you very much. Oh, I really hope any of those things Val's just described, go onto the website and look to join the group. All that support is available there. And I'll get Rep Val in a minute to run through all her contact details again. But as we do on every every chat we have now, Val, we've got three questions that I'd like to ask. So what is a typical day, apart from incredibly busy by the sound of it, but what's a typical day in Val's life like? Okay, I, well, I'm going to confess I'm a Trekkie. So if I'm not doing stuff with animals, um, I'm part of a um, the USS Alba, which is an online ship, um, and I go to conventions and I have a Star Trek uniform. So there you go, I'm a geek. Fantastic. <laughs> <That's my laughs> oh, that's amazing. I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> what a fantastic answer. The other one is what is the one thing you couldn't do without every day of your life? And coffee's a given. I just say that. Lucy yeah, made coffee. me put coffee as a given. <laughs> so, yeah, so. coffee's there. I, I, I love Cadbury's chocolate um, and I love my pets. I'm, I'm sure everyone does. Uh, so I, I, I think animals has to be in there. I rescued a, a caterpillar off the road today, a little furry caterpillar. I looked it up and it's some kind of moth, but it would have definitely got squished and I rescued it. So that that fills my day, things like that. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a lovely story. <laughs> and animals of, of the world, isn't it? Yes. Whatever they are, we should do what Absolutely. we can. And the, the last question is a, perhaps a little bit deeper, but it's what one thing would you do if you could change anything to make the world a better place? What would be the one thing that you would do? Oh, goodness. Oh, that's so hard, isn't it? Because if it I, is. whatever I say, I'm going to say, I wish I'd said something else later. Um, <laughs> start, it would be like an old-fashioned Miss World contestant. I might have to change my questioning if I'm coming yeah, over no. like a, a Miss World <laughs> host. <laughs> um, I, I guess it would be about uh, get rid of cruelty. Wouldn't it be great if there was a world with no cruelty? Fantastic. Final answer, Chris. <laughs> no, that's a fantastic answer and something we can all agree with and support you on. So would you just like to tell the listeners again, what's the best way to get in touch, whether they want to donate, join, or, or how do they get in touch with you? Well, I hope if they've got a pen handy, although we, we do have a, um, a link tree that has all our links on, so it, you can find that under One Voice for Animals UK. But off the top of my head, our website is helpanimals.co.uk, and, and from there you'll find buttons to join, buttons to our various campaigns, and buttons particularly for the directory. They're all on the homepage. Um, our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash One Voice for Animals UK. That's the Facebook group that we aim at um, rescuers, rehabbers, volunteers, fosterers, anybody who's, who's actively work, working to help animals. Um, our auction group, very similar address, 
facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash one voice auction. That's one voice auction. You'd be very welcome to join there. And that means you'd be a member ready for our upcoming auction and you'll see us, all the promotions we're doing for that. Um, to email us, I think the one, you can get emails through the website, uh, which I think is um, admin at helpanimals.co.uk. So it's probably the easiest one to remember. I, if, if people can find the Facebook pages, I think they'll find me. You can message me through Facebook anytime. I always respond. Look, Val, it's been lovely speaking to you today and finding out all about One Voice for Animals and what an amazing journey you've been on. And I wish you every success for the future, obviously. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Nigel. I really appreciated the opportunity. Hello and welcome back on on this week's Wildlife Matters podcast. I'm going to share an exciting story with you. It's the story of the winter moth. As December approaches and winter sets in, you might spot a tiny brown moth resting on your porch light or window. With a wingspan of about 30 mil, this moth is most likely to be the winter moth also known as Opatera bramata. These moths were once considered a pest in the orchards of Worcestershire and Kent, where gardeners had to put bands around the base of the fruit trees to keep the winter moth from breeding. The moth earned the nickname of the Evesham moth, and their larvae were known to ravage the fruit orchards in the area. The winter moth has a close relative, the northern winter moth, which is a little bit larger and paler. Both species are commonly found throughout Britain. However, its ability to fly in sub-zero temperatures that set the winter moth apart from other species. The male winter moth takes flight during winter, while the almost wingless females crawl up trees and shrubs to mature. Recently, I was exploring a broadleaf woodland when I came across a breathtaking sight. My head torch attracted a large gathering of moths. Still, when I looked up, I saw hundreds, possibly even thousands, of female winter moths crawling down the ridged bark of an enormous oak tree. The potent pheromones that the flightless females released to attract the males were responsible for the large gathering of moths. The male winter moths were frenzied as they searched for the females to mate with, creating a spectacular sight. Male winter moths emerge from their pupae a few days before the females and their only objective is to find and mate with females. After mating, they fall to the woodland floor and die amongst the leaf litter. Meanwhile, the female has to climb to the tree's upper reaches, in this case some 30 metres high, to deposit her fertilised eggs into the oak tree's buds. Winter moths feed on various plant species, including oak and fruit trees, which makes them very unpopular with orchard owners and gardeners. Once laid her eggs, the female has completed her life's purpose and will also die. 
Although females were too high up the tree to be seen, I knew that if I returned around sunrise, I would know if they had been successful. The winter moth's life cycle is fascinating, and observing these tiny creatures in their natural habitat is a unique experience. So, before dawn the following day, I returned to the oak tree and listened in the stillness and quiet of morning. After a short time, I could hear the slightly anxious sound of a group of long-tailed tits approaching through the canopy. They don't sing like songbirds, but they have distinct and definite sounds that the group uses to communicate. I sat, just listening intently to the chattering of the long-tailed tips and the calming rhythm of my own breath. Very soon, they arrived. There were maybe 15 to 20 individuals. Their sounds were distinct, the anxiousness replaced with the excited shrillness. They were quickly in the upper canopy, speculatively scouring the branches for the dead female winter moths that provide a protein, fat and fluid packed food source to help ensure that this flock of long-tailed tits would survive the chill of the winter months. Others, including great tits and blue tits, soon joined the initial flock and the morning feasting was in full glow. Winter moths are an important food source for native birds. They lay eggs in winter, which hatch in spring. The young larvae then bore into the tree's swelling buds and feed on them before moving on to fresh buds and leaves on new branches. These larvae belong to the Geometridae family, commonly known as looper caterpillars. They typically have mid to pale green color with paler, longitudinal stripes and are not brightly coloured. During the emergence of the winter moth larvae in spring, many birds, especially those of the tit family, time their offspring's hatching to coincide. These caterpillars provide the nutrition and energy that the young hatchlings need to survive. So do keep an eye open in the spring for blue tits. Amongst many other species, hopping around trees in your garden, local park or woodland, the trees will only just be coming into leaf. So it will be easy to watch the blue tits busily jumping around the seemingly barren branches as they search for the caterpillars to feed their young. As winter approaches now, many larvae of the winter moth will begin to emerge. While some will be eaten by birds to feed themselves, others return to the ground. Once they reach the ground, they'll construct a silken chamber in the soil, usually a few centimetres deep, where they will pupate. They remain inside their silk cocoon throughout the summer and early autumn, and only emerge in October as adults, known as imagines. These creatures are truly magnificent. And nature is truly amazing. Just take a moment from your busy life to pause and appreciate some of the spectacular creatures we share our world with. And that has been a little story of the winter moth on this week's Wildlife Matters podcast.
I just don't know where the time goes. That's another info-packed episode of the Wildlife Matters podcast in the can. Huge thanks to Val Green for taking the time to speak to us. And if you would like to tell us all about your work or project, please do get in touch because we would love to chat to you. Our email address is hello at wildlife-matters.org. That's hello at wildlife-matters.org. On the next Wildlife Matters podcast, we will be finding out just what hedgehogs eat and checking out Britain's amazing winter visitors. We take time out for a mindful moment in nature. So we look forward to seeing you again. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast to make sure you get the latest episode on the day it comes out of the Wildlife Matters podcast. But for now, that's it. This is me, your host, Nigel Palmer, Wildlife Matters, signing off.